Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Mission Log Supplemental, number 38. TNG Recap, number 1. A first look, at a last look, at Star Trek, The Next Generation. Welcome into Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. And wow. Uh, so August 2014 is when we started talking about Star Trek The Next Generation. Ken, if you go back two years before that, August 2012, that's when we started talking about Star Trek. Yeah, I'm really thinking we should start talking about Deep Space Nine before we go to Vegas in August. Sure. I, I will put that on the calendar. Yeah. It's breaking with tradition, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you and I, in the next week or two, should just go to Vegas. Oh, okay, so we can do it there. Yeah. Right. We'll, I like stand, around the, we'll stand around the masquerade dressed mm-hmm. as, you know, ensigns and captains and what have you. Right. You know, in my head, mm-hmm. there are always people at the Rio dressed like people from Star Trek. <laughs> But, but but honestly, there's not. The other 51 weeks out of the year, I've, I've got to guess that they're not. Are you sure, though? Because how often do you go to the Rio? Not not unless it's a Star Trek convention. I will tell yeah. you honestly, it would not surprise me if there's somebody wandering around right now going, when's everyone getting back? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they can occupy their time and kiss mini golf until that day. <laughs> they can indeed. So yeah, we finished it. We finished next gen. Well, we mostly finished next gen. It took us three and a half years to do seven seasons of next gen, four movies. You kind of knew it was going to take that long, though, because you know, math. Right, right. And, <laughs> and our helpful listeners who sent us uh, spreadsheets right from the beginning, saying, "Well, here's how long this is going to take, and here's where you'll land on this day." And we've we we stayed close to that. We have to build in some breaks here and there. Yeah. Yeah, somebody on Twitter, I think it was the other day, actually uh, pinpointed the date that we're going to finish. <laughs> and first of all, there may be other Star Trek. We don't know. Yeah. Uh, additionally, though, I actually need a day off in 2021. Yeah. So so we're going to have to push that back at least a week. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have that thing. You have that thing in 2021. <laughs> I do. Yeah. And I told you guys before we even started the mm-hmm. show, I've got that thing. Mm-hmm. I can't miss it. Right. Made the plan in 1991. So, I mean, seriously. <sighs> yeah, so we've done TNG now, and then it's on to Deep Space Nine and Voyager and Enterprise, then the J.J. Abrams movies, uh, then we'll do Discovery. And, uh, you know, we really don't know uh, when this whole thing ends, because we assume that there will be even more Star Trek by the time we get caught up. You know what I found out? What I was wondering, actually. What's that? So, like, if, if we catch up, to a series in progress. Yeah. Do we just like stop halfway through that series? Like that week? Like eh, we caught up. <laughs> that, Finally. That, actually, that'd be great, wouldn't it? That would, that would be really nice. Especially if it ends on a cliffhanger. A yeah. Like, oh. yeah. So next week we'll find out what will happen with Captain Daltrolli. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, except yeah, we're tired. Yeah, we're, yeah. We, we, we said we were doing moonlighting. We're doing moonlighting. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Right now, so so you know, lots of jokes about taking breathers or just stopping in the middle. Uh, we are actually taking a bit of a breather right now. We're going to reflect a bit on our TNG journey um, and just, you know, whale man, we're going to rock it. Yeah. All right. So what we're going to do on this show is we'll have listener comments coming up, uh, some by voicemail, some by email. Um, but look, I, I do want to remind everybody that next week on Mission Log. Uh, that will also be a supplemental show, and we will be welcoming some special guests to that episode. And that helps us to create a break, as Ken said, before starting Deep Space Nine sometime in early March. Uh, but don't worry, because we are also planning other shows that will truly be supplemental that we can keep dropping in to carry on the conversation about TNG and, and honestly anything else in Star Trek that we feel like discussing. So you got your mission log, you got your supplemental episodes, you got your live shows on Tuesday nights at facebook.com slash mission log pod. Uh, so yeah, really, there's plenty of mission log to go around and plenty of track to be discussed. And, and we, we really appreciate having you. Because here's the thing, we're sort of like focusing on, wow, that was three and a half years. <laughs> well, it was three and a half years for you as well. And yeah. Yeah, there'd be no point in us doing it if there weren't people listening and if there weren't people writing in. And um, thanks for that a lot because yeah. it's it's easy for us to – well, I, I, I don't want to speak for John. It's easy for me to sit here. I, I work from home. I sit here. I face my computer. I hear John. But it's really just me and my microphone as far as, like, you know, characters in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, there's talking to John. And then there's, you know, emails drop in that are just – some of them are annoying. <laughs> oh, that one. That that one. No, no. There's been one or two. Yeah. Some of them are annoying. A lot of them are thought provoking and a lot of them are really very touching. Yeah. Um, it's it's easy to to just really feel like you're talking to yourself or you're talking to your friend. Um, and it's really. This is a term that's overused, but it's really humbling. Some of the emails that we get from people um, uh, and. And thank you very much for joining us on yeah. this journey or on these journeys. And, and it is sort of it's that old cliche that, you know, we, we read everything and, and we're sorry that we don't get to reply to everything. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we get these fabulous long emails, um, people talking about their personal journeys and what Star Trek means to them. And then sometimes incredibly detailed analysis. I mean, incredibly detailed analysis of an episode or a season or a whole series. Um, and they're, they're wonderful. And um, honestly, that would be another full-time job would just be replying to all of that and giving them the, the, uh, the responses that, that they are owed. Um, but what we can do here in the confines of our podcast is uh, answer a handful of questions, read some of those emails and, um, I'd like to kick things off. We we got some suggestions from one of our listeners, uh, Les Bartiromo, and um, I only picked a few of these, but he said, look, I, I want to get the conversation going with this. I, I'm going to throw out some of my ideas, and, and you guys can riff on this. So um, looking back at Next Gen, these are some of the categories that he was concerned with. So uh, best written character. Now, now, Les says, probably Picard with a nod to Riker. Yeah, well, uh, Picard. I mean, Picard, I obviously. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's. Yeah, I can sort of see Riker, but when Riker made the decision to stay as Picard's second in command, I don't want to say that stunted the character development, but I mean that was that was pretty much what he was going to be from then on. Mm-hmm. And so it's not that it's not that you didn't get some good stuff from Riker, but. Uh, it's weird. It's almost like the character made the decision it just to stay there and absorb and not necessarily grow past where he was. Uh, Picard didn't really have that luxury, right? Because he's the yeah. captain. He's got he's to answer to people. He's got to answer to people above him. He's got to make sure he's taking care of his crew. He's got to negotiate with every alien race they come across. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's got to be Picard, although it's kind of... It's almost an unfair question because it was always going to be Picard, right? Yeah, uh, but here's the thing. I, I think they took that character further. You, you know, you think about our discussion of TOS, and we really came to the conclusion that you need those original series movies to give depth to those characters. You got yeah. some, particularly with Spock, but um, I, I feel like over seven seasons of Next Gen, we got so much more out of Picard than I think any of us expected out of a character on a you know, family-friendly, hour-long TV show that in any other situation, he could have just been the captain, and that's all we got out of him. I think Riker is not that well-developed. I think he's not that well-written. Um, hmm. he, he's certainly, he's charming, and he he has action to do in the show, um, but I don't think there's a lot of growth out of him. Um, I, I think I, I always have to look at some of the secondary and guest characters to look at anybody who got any real growth. I, I would even say a guy like Barclay. Like you needed a guy in that cast at some point who was just a little awkward, a little imperfect, but then give him some place to go. And I actually got some growth out of him. He just went in circles, though. That's the thing. He, he I mean, did. He, I, I was disappointed that he ended up back where he was, but we, we, we got something more out of him along the way. Yes. You see, it, there's an interesting it, kind of what I want to ask is the, is the question that something that we talked about originally in TOS, who is the most gumbified character? Mm. Because I think because because yeah. say what you want to about Riker and whether or not he grew, he was consistently written. Picard was consistently written, except for a, there was like there were one or two episodes where it's like, OK, they really I think maybe one of the ones that Patrick Stewart directed, actually, where mm-hmm. he wanted to be behind the camera. He didn't want to be on the camera. And so he basically delivered like two or three lines and got out of the way. Right. And, and it was like, well, really, Picard should be involved in this. But of course, for for behind the scenes reasons, he wasn't. Um, Troy, I think, is the most probably the most gumbified one or maybe. Well, no, I take it back. Data. Yeah, data, data has to be the most gumbified one. Hundred percent. Yeah, weird character there because you're trying to examine so much stuff about humanity and what it means to be human. But apparently, what it means to be human is to get amnesia every thirty days. <laughs> because things that and, and you know, I get it. I, I, it's like that one episode that I can never remember the name of. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I get it. I mean, you, yeah. you, you, you want to examine some really in-depth stuff with data, and at the same time. Uh, you need him to be the, I don't understand emotions, I don't get humor, that whole thing. But, man, it's like somebody was sneaking in in the middle of the night and resetting his uh, resetting his positronic net every week and a half. Yeah. 
Well, let's see what Les says next. He asks about overused character. Now, he says, for a while, Worf. I think I would agree with that. But but honestly, I, I think overall, I have to say data. And that goes back to the gumbification of data. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a while there, I mean, think about how many episodes were the Picard show and or the data show. And then the data show and or the Picard show. So... Uh, I'm glad we got something more out of Worf. I would have liked for that to have been spread out, maybe, because it felt mm. like a drag sometimes. We just got to a long exposition piece about Klingons um, and then Worf forgetting that he had a son and, you know, whatever the, the problems were with that character. Um, but I feel like with Data, because everybody likes Brent Spiner as an actor and Data is an interesting character. But then it almost feels like, okay, well, well, what can we do with that now? Well, well, we'll have Data in the Old West, and then we'll have Data's evil twin. And, then we'll have, you know, all these sort of very easy kind of TV tropes. But just because we like Data, we'll throw Data into that situation. Hey, I'd probably agree with you on that. The, the, one, the one issue that I may take with that, well... So you say overused character, and I'm trying to figure out how we mean use them exactly. Because at least usually when they did data stuff, they were trying to get to something bigger. Mm -hmm. Didn't always work, but they were trying to get to something bigger. Uh, A lot of times, Worf just felt like family drama. But the problem is it was family drama with the kid from Family Ties, and it ended up playing more like an after-school special. And that's not, that's, I mean, that's, I don't know if that's writers who don't know how to write for kids. I don't know if that's directors who don't know how to direct kids. I don't know if it was just the inconsistency of having him, um, of having Alexander be there some weeks and not other weeks. There were the false starts with uh, with the relationship with Deanna. Mm-hmm. It never really felt to me like we were trying, with the exception of things like, um, I can't remember, I, I, I joked earlier about not being able to remember the name of episodes, but the one where they rejected Worf, where, where the Klingon council turned its back on Worf and he... Oh, Sentence of the Father? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, things, I mean, uh, things like that. Uh, those, those were really, you know, weighty, interesting studies for Worf. Um, then a lot of times they were just goofy ones. So I kind of want to say Worf because fifty percent of the time a Worf episode didn't really feel like much of an episode. Yeah. Well, eh, then again, I had problems with the data stuff too, like the fact that he would forget what he learned last week, next week. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, now, how about the most forgotten slash underused character? Les says Beverly Crusher. Okay, you say. <laughs> uh, well, let's see. Where, where do you start? I'm, I'm going to say Beverly. I'm going to say um, Troy from week to week. They had no idea what to do with her. Tasha Yar from week to week. They had no idea what to do with her. A um, li- li- little bit of trouble there writing the, the major women on the show. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll go there. All right. Mm-hmm. I'll go with, uh, I'll go with, um, Dr. Pulaski. Oh yeah. Oh, but, but I felt like they gave her some meaty stuff for that short time we had her. Yes. And then she was just gone. And then she was gone. <laughs> she was gone and never mentioned again. Yeah. yeah. She could have been at, she could have been at Riker and Troy's wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Guess yeah. not. Move along. <laughs> All right, best villain. I, you see, go ahead. I'm sorry. I should. Be, are you doing the presenter thing, or do you want to go back and forth? No, let's go back and forth. I like it. I like it. Best villain. 
Okay, now, uh, Les says Q. Yeah. I, I question whether Q is really a villain. He's an adversary. He's yeah, a he's foil. Yeah, he's a foil. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't really know that he's a villain, though. So, um, I, I like... Um, I like the Borg as a whole. I think that's that, that's a, a cool idea. Obviously, um, I like uh, I like our old friend Kivas Fajo. Oh, I forgot yeah. about him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's good. just twisted, man. Yeah, he is. Yeah, right. <laughs> he's amazingly dark and in a very charming way. Mm-hmm. He was. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, I may have to change my answer. Well, what's yours? Well, mine was actually based, have you seen, because we all saw the Star Trek stamps when they came out a few years ago. Have you seen the stamps, I believe it's out of Canada, where they've got all of the captains, and then they've got their their um, their nemesi, I suppose. Mm. Mm-hmm. So, like, for, for Kirk, there's Khan. Okay. And, and for Cisco... Uh, I want to say there was one of the uh, one of the Cardassians. I can't remember mm-hmm. which. Um, and for Picard, there was Locutus. Oh, a little little mirror image there, which was really neat. And 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 if you think about it, I mean that has been one of the most that's been one of the most trying and terrible things for Picard. Like all the big bads that they set up in uh, in the movies, mm-hmm. they were good, but nothing has been as scary or terrible as as uh, as what. Picard sees as having done himself, I think, yeah. even though he knows it's not his fault. Right. Um, he does know and he does remember Locutus. And, you know, Locutus does get to be in one of the movies, too. So mm-hmm. <laughs> even if it's only for a moment. Yeah. Um, is he a bad guy, though? I mean, are the Borg bad guys, actually? It's interesting that you say, well, I put the Borg as the, as, as the number one bad guy. When we first met them, they were definitely scary, but were they bad? They don't really mm-hmm. become bad until Lore gets a hold of them yeah. in season six. And then, of course, they become much worse in first contact. Right. Because they're yeah. no longer unthinking. They're they're trained ants. <laughs> this next one, I'm assuming we're just talking about next gen. Mm-hmm. Les uh, wanted to know about best and worst movie. We're just talking about the next gen movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll, just, we'll narrow it down to next gen. Yeah. I think I know your answers. Okay. Shall I, shall I guess for Go you? Go ahead. Go ahead and guess. Uh, your best is First Contact, your worst is Nemesis. Wait, no. Your best is First Contact and your worst is Generations. Ooh, no, no. I actually, I, I found more to enjoy out of Generations than I did Nemesis. Interesting, because in our, in our discussion of Nemesis, you said it's not First Contact, but it's not Generations either. Oh, I meant the death. The 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 death oh, scene. Oh, yeah. I thought you meant the movie. No, okay. no, no. I mean, I mean the death scene. The uh, because yeah. That <laughs> so funny story. We've said the name now of three of the four movies, and I can't remember which are actually your best and worst. <laughs> Let me just go ahead and say Insurrection, so we can have the whole salad in there. Ah, uh, there you go. The Good. No, I, but, yeah. I think that Insurrection is probably the best next gen movie, but First Contact is the most enjoyable next gen movie. So if I'm going to sit down and watch something that I enjoy, that's sort of like the warm blanket, then um, the first contact it is. But if I want to watch a movie that encompasses what Star Trek The Next Generation is about, then Insurrection is that movie. And and Nemesis is just kind of a kind of a mess. <laughs> so, so Nemesis is your worst. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
All right. Yeah, I'm um, insurrection is the best for me, and nemesis okay. is the worst. Just because um, first contact bothers me too much. The yeah. queen, the Borg queen, just bothers me too much, and Picard. You know, just uh, thoughtlessly rooting through what remains of somebody who six hours ago was one of his crew members mm-hmm. um, bothers me a bit too. But really, it's the Borg Queen. I can even I can even take the Picard thing. It's the Borg Queen just absolutely kills it. Yeah, um, and, and it's interesting. We got a lot of email that were people firmly on that side of the Borg Queen ruined the Borg. And then a lot of other emails saying, let me explain to you why the Borg Queen is fine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yes, we did. <laughs> but but that's why I like doing this show. That's why I like doing this show, because we get a little bit of everything. Most cinematic TV episode. It's an interesting question. And I think I would probably be helped if I could actually remember TV episodes. You know, I faulted mm-hmm. writers for writing data like he has amnesia. Mm-hmm. Really, they're just writing him like he's me. <laughs> <laughs> most cinematic as far as you're concerned uh i it's a tough one to answer only because i feel like when next gen was really trying to be cinematic they 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 got there for the most part so you you look at the big episodes you look at best of both worlds one and two you look at um all good things you look at um uh well uh, maybe even times arrow a little bit just because they're they're taking on a big story um and we got more locations and and all that kind of stuff but i i I would honestly say that just from a dramatic point of view chain of command because you've got you essentially have a play and you have two incredibly strong powerful actors really pushing themselves to the limit do me a favor, remind people what Chain of Command was. Oh, sure. Uh, well, the most important part of Chain of Command is Picard trapped by a Cardassian being tortured by him. And uh, need I ask how many lights there are? Right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so that also had, see, there's your bad guy. My goodness, Kivas Faggio. But David Warner as the Cardassian, and that was amazing yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. Pretty uh, unbelievable. Yeah. I'm starting to hate Les's questions here. <laughs> I'm sorry, Les. <laughs> no, I don't hate Les. It's just yeah. these questions are they're vexing. Yeah. They task me. They task you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think this is a standout. Now, if we're just talking purely about the look, I mean, I, I think that episode stands out because of the focus that we got on David Warner and Patrick Stewart as actors and that that bare room you know it's just a, it's a dramatic piece of of storytelling i mean look yesterday's enterprise is an epic episode um oh. yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah the more you, the more you say the harder this gets for me i mm-hmm. the one that leapt to mind for me was tapestry um, oh, yeah, which is great. And I think, what, I think what structurally was the reason for that one, because it began with a laughing and dying Picard and ended with a laughing and dying Picard, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were neat things about the way that story was told. At the same time, when you say cinematic, I'm thinking, okay, camera work or not trickery exactly, but yeah, there was an episode where I want to say Picard took Beverly to identify Jack's body. Or maybe it was Wesley dreaming about something. It was one of the two. It was uh, it was in uh, Violations, and you had, uh, yeah, in Beverly's dream, going back to uh, to the morgue. Yeah, because it was that thing where we were going down the hall, and then we just went straight over the rail, right? Mm-hmm. 
which was an amazing bit of camera work, and it still sticks out in my mind because, generally speaking, the camera just sat there, unless they were doing a walk and talk, in which case yeah. the camera just rolled gently backwards. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't <laughs> right. I mean, when you say cinematic, I start thinking about any way that they actually used, you know, um, elements of filmmaking or elements of, um, or, well, yeah, elements of filmmaking, I would say, to make these little films every week or short yeah. films anyway. And we've talked about that before, where, where things changed when you got to season three and you had Marvin Rush come in as cinematographer. And then when he left, the people that he had worked with kind of carried on his style a bit. So TV is not a place where there's a lot of experimentation, but there is a big change between those first couple of seasons and the third when we got uh, Rush kind of uh, exerted one more creative control over what the cameras could do. So. There's a, a nice dividing line. If you want to see the best of what next gen looks like, start there. You know, it's times like this, John. I'm reminded of one of my favorite songs ever. What is that? Do you mind if I... I don't normally sing. No, I mean, that, that's fine. Like, I don't know if we have an ASCAP license, but you, you knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think if it's just me going, letters, we get letters, we get tons and tons of letters. Letters. <laughs> that's it. That's... I'm pretty sure that's not... I, I, think, I think we're ASCAP safe there. Okay. I, I think we've covered our ASCAPs. Oh, is my guess, there. I hope. What? I was just talking about ASCAP. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm a little worried about BMI, though. Mm, as you should be. <laughs> hey, we got uh, we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of uh, uh, feedback. We got a lot of emails from people. No actual letters. No physical letters. No, no, not not that I can think of. But but here's what we do with that email uh, and the Facebook comments and the Twitter comments. Uh, we read them all. Yes. Sometimes we get to reply to them uh, on Facebook or on Twitter or on email, and then sometimes we don't. But sometimes we get to hold on to those and address them in a show, as we're going to do right now. So how about I kick this off? I'll read one here from Luke, and then we can comment on that. Luke says, I just wanted to thank you guys for all the Next Generation podcast. I started listening about five episodes into TOS and was so excited to get to Next Gen because that's the Star Trek I grew up with. And it was so incredible reliving all of them as an adult. So many feels. Luke had the feels. Most of all, I want to say thank you for the words from Ken at the end of the finale episode about how when people stop fighting and work together, there's no limit to what we can do. It's something that I really needed to hear right now. It meant more than you could ever know. Thank you from the bottom of my heart and keep up the good work, guys. Ken, I I wanted to make sure I put that one in there for you. I appreciate that. Here's the thing, though. That was not, I mean, all I was doing was saying what I saw on the screen. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, that really, uh, we will talk and retalk and talk some more about Discovery and other Star Treks to come between now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm still there. That's my, I mean, that's uh, Star Trek shines brightest when it, you know, when it does that. So, and thank yeah. you very much, Luke, for your kind words. I appreciate it. Um, am I doing the one from Matt? Well, I'll tell you, I'll read the one from Matt. Okay. I think, I think we both have some some comments to say about this one. So Matt says, digging your podcast for a few months after having the thought, there must be a groovy Trek podcast. <laughs> I'm a lifelong Trekkie, having my father induct me into TOS at an absurdly young age, but also finding that at the end of the day, TNG is my Trek. 
Of course, I had to dive straight into the one for all good things. I often return to that one. I was going to point out the horrible paradox that if the Pasteur created the anti-time singularity, then they couldn't come back later and see it because it moved back in time. But in the last few minutes of your podcast, the time cone mention filled in a plot hole that has been bothering me for almost a quarter decade. Now, I don't want to get into a political thing. That said, at 50 minutes in, I was convinced that you both were going to go into a Trump commentary as you said, quote, how do we get this guy off the bridge? Who is actually next in command if we have to relieve him? How far are we going to let him take us without telling us what we're doing that endangers the ship? I like to think that I'm an even-keeled fellow. I didn't vote for anyone in 2016 as I decided that I had already voted with my feet in 2010 by moving to Japan but I was absolutely expecting that the setup was taking me there. Uh, first of all, ohayo gozaimasu, Matt, if you were listening in the morning. And uh, uh, thank you for your email. So arigato there. So uh, Ken, yeah. Matt here has uh, presented us with, uh, with, with something that we see from time to time. When people write in and they say, uh, it, it's too political, it's not political enough. Uh, you're, you're, you're coming politics on this side, but not on this other side. Hey, what you really need is another host to come in and present this side. Or, and I'm not saying that Matt is, is asking that specifically, but, but Matt is bringing up the politics of Star Trek and, the, and then by proxy, the politics of our show. Um, and, and I thought this would be a good place to, uh, to address that. Not, not that we haven't before, but uh, might be worth jumping in there again. It's really funny, though. He's like... Um I don't want to get into a political thing, but I'm gonna. <laughs> right, right. right. Like, I don't want to yeah. say you're fat, but. <laughs> <laughs> What's interesting to me is we didn't go that way. I don't know if we were thinking that way or not when we talked. I mean, when we were saying those things, there's a there's a pervasiveness about um, the current political climate. It's funny. I saw a comedian talking about it like a, like about a year ago, like right after. Uh, Trump had been inaugurated and you couldn't, you know, a number of people, myself included, would like wake up and go immediately to Twitter Mm. to find out what had happened while we were sleeping because almost always something like that, you know, did. Um, But it really, it it got to a point and I feel like maybe, maybe I'm just not noticing it as much anymore, which is scary in and of itself. But there was a point where You'd be like, so I had uh, had um, I had sausage for breakfast this morning, and whoever you're talking to would be like, yeah, you know who else has breakfast? Trump, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, it's like uh, it, it, there's a, there's a there's a pervasiveness about about politics right now that you almost can't have a conversation that doesn't. For me, there is a seventy percent chance in my private dealings that any conversation is going to end up political. That's how pervasive all of that is right now. And what's interesting is that also shows a really neat thing about Star Trek. Wherever you are in time, whatever you're doing in time, um, it may well apply. If you think that we're living in you know, a golden age right now, that it's all you know, peaches and cream, um, you can find episodes of Star Trek that will support that. If you feel like everything is really terrible right now, and you're trying to figure out how to get away from it, or how to get through it, or how to get beyond it, um, you can find episodes of Star Trek that support that, too. 
Which is not to say that, you know, Star Trek is as gumbified as, as Bones was back in the day or as Data was back in the day. Rather, it's to say that Star Trek uh, tackles so much and covers so much um, that that it seems to me, I mean, it could be the fact that there's over 700 episodes, you know, if you count everything, over 700 stories, if you count, you know, all the series and the movies and all that. Um, there are a lot of lessons or a lot of messages uh, to be taken from Star Trek, which is, of course, the whole reason that we even started doing this. Yeah. I mean, look, the only thing I add to that is to say that um, I think that a, a, a lot, if not most, art is political. And Star Trek, to me, is a piece of art. And um, I think from the very beginning, by design, it was a show that uh, that examined the human condition. And part of examining the human condition is to examine the thoughts, the beliefs, the motivations, and yes, the politics of the people involved. I, I don't think we can do a show about Star Trek and do it justice if we're not talking about social relevance. Um, now, I will admit that we stop short sometimes on our show because you and I can, and I, I'm sorry for speaking for you here, but, but I, I feel like I'm safe in saying that we feel like it's more important to get the idea across and to discuss the idea of an episode of Star Trek than it is to get behind a mic and start preaching. Um, that's rarely what Star Trek ever does, although some of Star Trek's finest moments are preachy. <laughs> so so there is that, too. Um, but I don't want to create a show that immediately tells half the potential audience this isn't for you. What I want to do is examine the point of view of the show and and examine the the parts of the argument that lead to that point of view. I don't think I'm spilling anything here by saying that Star Trek traditionally has been a pretty progressive left of center show for the most part doesn't mean that it's 100 percent anything in one direction or another. But especially when you go back to the 60s and you look at the climate that those shows were coming out in and presenting things that had never been seen on TV before. Um, I, I, I like the idea that there is a part of Star Trek that has carried on that tradition. And that's what excites me about doing this show. Now, some of those topics excite me more than others. Some of those topics get me fired up more than others. Um but I also want to be respectful of the people who are listening to our show and not take the, the, the privilege that I have of sitting behind a mic and having this conversation every week with you, Ken. Um, I, I, I don't want to take that for granted. And I, I don't want to um, I don't want to misuse that. I, I'd rather, you know, from the very beginning, you and Rod and I said this is about a conversation. Now, that conversation is about heavy topics, often. Sometimes it's about disposable nonsense. <laughs> Every now and then we come across those, too. Um, but I feel like we're doing Star Trek a disservice and we're doing our job a disservice if we don't identify the things that are politically and socially and, and humanely relevant. A couple of things I would like to add really quickly. First of all, I was thinking back on something that I said a moment ago. When I said that you can find things in Star Trek to justify whatever your position is, I don't necessarily think everybody who does that is correct. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. oh, I mean, sure. it's really yeah. it's really interesting and kind of um, 
well, I mean, we all watch through our own lens, right? Mm-hmm. So you can find things that you think, oh, yeah, that was absolutely the right decision, even though it ends up being the decision against which the episode was preaching. Yeah. Which is kind of a funny thing to me, but, you know, people people um, have certainly found uh, times and ways to do that. That said, as you said, I think it is about not wanting to turn people off. At the same mm-hmm. time, we've gotten worse about discussion now, it seems to me. Like... Like my other show, there are people who have stopped listening to my other show because on Twitter, I will say something that is exactly how I feel politically. It's especially bad when I haven't had quite enough sleep because because then I'm not really thinking about the ramifications of what I'm saying. Like, like, is this going to upset people? I'm thinking, you know what? That guy's really annoying me right now. And so I'm going to say whatever I'm going to say about whatever I'm going to say. And and we've now gotten to a place where if 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 and I don't, we haven't all gotten here, but a lot of us have gotten to a place now where if you suspect that I voted for one side and you voted for the other side, there is now nothing that I can say that matters to you anymore, because on a day in November in 2016, I pulled the lever one way, you pulled the lever another, and because we pulled the lever in opposite directions, we now no longer have any ground on which we can meet. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, there, there have been, you know what I'm thinking about in particular? Um, uh, Nova Squadron. Oh, sure. Uh, uh, the first duty. Yeah. Yeah. We left out a line. We left out a line that had been written because we didn't want to turn people off. Mm. And, and, and I don't think, I, I kind of feel bad that we left it out at the same yeah. time. We would have lost a lot of people that like that day, a lot of people would have absolutely stopped participating in our conversation. Yeah. And so I wish we could get past that. I wish we could disagree without being disagreeable. I wish we could disagree without putting our fingers in our ears and, you know, yelling until the other person stops. Yeah. It's kind of funny, though, you know, before you and I will start a show, we'll, we'll sort of get on the line and check in with each other and, and talk about what we're going to do. And, and there are sometimes those episodes where you or I will just feel explosive and we're just like, you know, pulling our hair out like, oh, I got to talk about this. Gotta, and then when we actually get to recording, it's like, OK, we'll we'll temper this a little <laughs> for some reason here. <laughs> we'll not go completely over the top. You know, Oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, I've more than I a know few. Exactly. More, well, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. But there's one time yeah. recently. You're thinking yeah. recently. Yeah. I'm thinking very recently. I feel bad now because it's like I'm, I'm, we're telling people like, oh, remember that one time that nobody else knows about? Yeah. Remember that other time nobody else knows about? Yeah. Right. But what I'm saying is, you, you, you know, you catch one of us at Vegas at the at the masquerade <laughs> bar and ask us how we really feel. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm happy as a clam when I'm there. Yeah, well, that's true. So, you know, yeah, catch me. Catch me at the airport on the way out of Vegas. <laughs> Ask me how I feel. Uh, we got an email from Les. Should I read the email from Les? Am I reading the whole email from Les? I think First, you should. Yeah. I think both you, Ken, and John did a fantastic job on your coverage of the final TV episode of TNG. Uh, to put things into perspective, DS9 had been on the syndicated air for several years as TNG came to a close. They jumped right into making Star Trek Generations after the TNG season finale, or series finale, excuse me. And as soon as Star Trek Generations wrapped, the sets were torn down or redressed for Star Trek Voyager. Lots of Star Trek stuff going on 
all at once. I want to thank John for comparing Picard sitting down to play poker with the same feeling that you get when you see autographs at the end of Star Trek VI. TOS felt unfinished until that moment. The original series was on network TV for only three years, and the final episode was a horrible way to end the series. In some ways, Star Trek II was sort of the last episode. That was a good place to say goodbye, even though four more movies were made. While I felt those movies were unnecessary, the autographs at the end of Star Trek VI over the fantastic background music felt like closure. For TNG, they could have stopped with Picard sitting down to play cards. That, not Star Trek Nemesis, felt like the end of the story for the crew even if there were one or two good TNG movies. Hmm. I, I, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I'm glad we got TNG movies. I liked seeing uh, the Enterprise D and especially an Enterprise E on a big screen. Um, I liked what the budget afforded us to have more than 10 people on the Enterprise at any given time. Um, but... Yeah, that this was the first time really that they got to create a wrap up for a Star Trek. Um, and yeah, look, I, I know that Star Trek six came out before uh, a few years before the finale of Next Gen. But there, there's something very different about going through this seven year long journey and then having a, a, a cap for that at the end. Um, and I also feel like what I said before, which is that part of the part of the nice thing about getting the the TOS cast movies is that that's what really cemented them. That's what really kind of uh, uh, made sure that the the legend of that cast would have this proper send off. Because otherwise, if we just ended with Turnabout Intruder and we kept watching those seventy nine episodes over and over again, I don't think we'd feel necessarily as as close and as in-depth with those characters as we did because we got their movies. Yeah, maybe. At the same time, you might just go ahead and make your own backstory, right? Yeah, it could be. I mean, you might, you might fill in those gaps yourself instead of you know waiting for it to come on the big screen. The other thing is, I don't think we would count 79 episodes. I think we dropped Turnabout Intruder. We got an email right. from somebody. I can't remember if it was an email or, or a Twitter message, but we got something from somebody uh, at, right before we did um, All Good Things. Mm-hmm. saying they were really looking forward to uh, our coverage of all good things and the three Star Trek uh, Next Generation movies. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know I don't know if that was intentional or not, but my assumption is it was intentional, that it was yeah. a slight on, um, yeah. on Nemesis. Yeah. Uh, i got to tell you really quickly, um, as far as offering a goodbye, all good things was an excellent goodbye. Because of the way that we do what we do and because we decided to leave DS9 until later... I think that's one of the biggest problems that I have with Nemesis. I think it's one of the biggest problems I have with the next-gen movies is they don't give us that send-off. They don't give us that goodbye. Mm-hmm. But I've actually started um, – I've already started watching into um, DS9. And uh, Cole Meany takes his last look around the bridge. Mm-hmm. And, and I got teary. And, and mm-hmm. it's not because here's the thing that would not have happened. It didn't happen because I know I watched the first episode of Deep Space Nine. All I was watching at that point was a character, you know, go from one set to another set, go from one setting to another setting. Yeah. But now I, I've spent the last three and a half years on the bridge of, of the 1701D, which they unceremoniously ran into the ground in generations. And I never really cared that much about the E <laughs> because I was I was in it for maybe what a total of six hours. Right. Yeah. 
because yeah. they're three two-hour movies. So I was in that ship for a total of six hours, and half of one of those hours had a gaping hole in its front. So, <laughs> so when Colmini is standing there just looking over the bridge and there's nobody else there, he's just in that space. Honestly, it reminded me of the first time I went to um, uh, Star Trek The Experience in Vegas. Mm-hmm. Where I did cry, and I don't care who knows it, the first time I stood on that bridge, it felt like I was on the bridge. And uh, yeah, I teared up. I'd do it again, too, if anybody wants to build another one. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right, uh, last one here is from Jerry, and he says, Hi, John, Ken. I don't know if you'll be doing an end of TNG wrap-up. Oh, look, we are. Oh, we should do <laughs> one of those. We should. <laughs> Uh, before or after the movies, but I'm curious what your thoughts are about the way that the end of TNG sees all the minor characters we've come to know, Wesley, Roe, even someone like Vosh in that first season DS9 episode, rejecting Starfleet and its values. The main crew doesn't waver, but having Wesley and Roe both decide to quit the Federation as a result of its betraying its values seems like a fascinating and strange way to end a series about the utopian future of humanity. And it's further complicated by the fact that so many members of the main crew have quit Starfleet and the Flash Forward and all good things, too. I can see perhaps a little bit of subtle marketing for the slightly askance version of Star Trek they were trying to market in DS9, but all the same, it seems to really sour the optimism of Trek. I was curious what you guys thought about it. I don't know that it seemed this way to me when I watched it for the first time, but revisiting the end of TNG in its own terms and in light of everything that came later, it actually seems very sad. The system these people have dedicated their lives to is recognized by a younger generation as hopelessly compromised and corrupt, not worth saving. Still of the show, we'll miss the TNG years a lot. I've liked other bits of it and really loved Disco, but TNG was my trek. Hmm. See, to me, I actually saw it as, because Starfleet is not the end-all, be-all, right? I mean, there are other things that people can do. I liked the fact, I didn't feel like Wesley rejected the Federation or rejected Starfleet because of anything they did. He was definitely not happy with what happened um, uh, to the people on that planet. But he, he was on his way out the door anyway. It turns yeah. out that wasn't that just wasn't for him. I liked the fact that it showed that, you know, okay, so you've always thought you were going to be this thing. It's it's never too late to reconsider. It's never too late to figure out whether the direction you're going in is actually the direction you want to keep going in. Because, you know, he was in line for a 30-year career, and apparently mm-hmm. that's what he went for, a nemesis. <laughs> but, right. <laughs> but, I mean, somewhere along the way, it, it, was not, it was not, I reject this organization because this organization is bad. And maybe that got muddied a bit by the fact that in the midst of his rejecting the organization, the organization was up to some shady dealings. Um, he rejected it, though, because he had his own, had his own path to follow, I thought. Hmm. Do you want to address Rolaren? Uh Well, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's a unique situation, though, I think. I, I mean, yes, she rejects Starfleet, but she also started out as a character who was, I, I don't want to say abrasive to the ideals of Starfleet, but, but we knew that there was something that was not lockstep with everybody else who was on board the Enterprise. So I I was not as surprised that we ended up that way with her. Because we already started out with that sort of uh, uh, conflict between her and the others. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I'm I, I'm fine with her stepping away. I mean, I think what Jerry here is asking is, you know, is this sort of paving paving the way for the darker, grittier, more conflicted Deep Space Nine? And partly that's why I think early on we talked about making sure that in Mission Log we were covering series by series, not trying to do this overlap between TNG and Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Um because we could really see exactly what the overall message, what the overall style was going to be from series to series. Um, now, as to DS9 being darker and grittier, the slightly askance vision of Star Trek. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. And Ken, you've already been watching ahead a little bit. And, and it's kind of funny to me that we've been getting more than a few emails from people that I left out here <laughs> that are sort of preemptively asking us to look at Deep Space Nine in certain ways. Literally saying like, well, well, here's something that I want you to consider when you watch these shows. Here's how you should watch it. Please keep this in mind. Now, look, it's going to be different. But, but and I I sort of I I uh, I I read them politely and then I put those away and then I don't look at those again because I I, I don't want my perception of the show to be influenced by uh, by by someone else. Um, yeah, look, in the end, Next Generation is unique, um, and it has a it has a point of view and a style that is much more TOS like than certainly than ds9 and then we can argue about that coming back or not when we get into the into the later series as well greetings mission log this is john arminio i sometimes lurk on social media at quasar sniffer especially on twitter uh it's been a long time since i've called but i have a comment about preemptive strike one thing that really struck me about this episode that I think could have only happened in a show in its later seasons was the moments when uh, Ro Laren pulls the gun on Riker at the end. And I thought it was a really kind of touching moment when, you know, Riker doesn't get angry. He's just profoundly affected by it, by her betrayal. And you can see the heaviness of what is happening in the space and in his body language, and he's just full of regret for her. And it, it's painful for him to see that and to see her going through that and, and making this, this decision. And obviously he's very disappointed, um, but he doesn't get angry. He doesn't harangue her. He doesn't get all blustery and say that, yo, you're going to pay for this. He's, he's, he's you know, sad and, and heavy with the weight of what is going on because he knows how much it'll hurt Picard. Uh, so I thought that was a really great uh, and very smart moment by everyone involved. So it was great performances and great writing and great acting in, in that scene. Uh, so thank you, gentlemen. Uh, and I look forward to uh, moving forward with the podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for the message, John, or should I say Quasar Sniffer? Good to hear from you as always. Um, is Quasar Sniffer like Spore Huffer? I, I bet it is. Yeah. I mean, we'd have to ask him. I guess we would. Uh, yeah. I hope he's listening, because yeah. maybe he could tell us. What's up with the name, dude? And that's the question. <laughs> Come to think of it, what kind of name is John? Oh. Yo, wait. Mm. 
Sorry, Whoa. that got what? uncomfortable. Yeah, <laughs> my dab. No, uh, I wanted to play that because it's a good follow up to uh, Jerry's email that we just read. Um, I, like I said, I, I was not I, I was not disappointed by Roe carrying out the actions that she did. And I think actually there's there's really no other way for Riker to behave in that moment. I think it would have felt out of character if he was outraged, if he was furious, if he was uh, huffing and puffing about this. They did a really good job in such a short time with Roe. And believe me, I wish we had had a lot more Roe in this series. They did a good job of letting us, through the other characters, kind of endear her to the crew of the Enterprise. So it, it, it was a very emotional moment. It was sad to see her go, but um, it, it would have felt false to me if Riker had freaked out. What about you? Yeah, I, I, what's interesting is John says, you know, there's so much regret and he knows that Picard's going to be hurt. I personally just thought there was a tremendous amount of understanding. In fact, mm-hmm. in listening back to that call, it kind of made me want to argue with you a tiny bit about whether or not Riker was a well-written or well-developed character. I think mm-hmm. Riker has made a lot of decisions a long time ago with which he is still comfortable. Not all of them. I mean, there's the whole thing about um, Deanna, which we we address really quickly at the end, right? I mean, <laughs> right. Like, in the, like, in like, like in All Good Things, basically. From All Good Things to more happens in their relationship between All Good Things and the end of Nemesis then happened in seven yeah. seasons yeah. of Next Gen. But, I mean, like, he decided to uh, stay as somebody's second in command rather than uh, taking on his own captaincy. He, you know, well, I mean, he's he's devoting his life to Starfleet as well. I mean, he he understands having to do what you feel you have to do. And so when Roe does that, yeah, he was definitely disappointed. Yes, I would say he was definitely sad, but I don't think there's any part of him that doesn't understand that. And I, I, mm-hmm. I will say, I think John's right. No way that ha- that's not season two Riker sitting there. Season two Riker would have been, you were going to be in so much trouble. <laughs> right. <laughs> would right. have been finger wagging and, and angry looks and yeah. seething. And, and what happened there, I mean, what happened there, I think you had a much more seasoned character knowing that the only thing he could do was say goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good moment. Uh, Absolutely. And don't get me wrong, I I don't think that Riker is a poorly written character. And and I don't dislike Riker. Um, I I just, uh, hmm, yeah. Having done a hard, can I ask a question? Having done a hard rewatch, do you like him more now or less? Mm, Probably less, to be quite honest. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, but, but here's the thing. I, I don't want people to mistake that for thinking that I don't like Riker. I, I think mm-hmm. Riker overall, like I said, he, he's charming, he's fun, he's he's by design the action hero of the show. Um, but I just feel like his his depth, his complexity is only so far. <laughs> you know, it really they, when they made the decision to focus on Picard. They really decided to focus on Picard and they gave, I mean, come on, we, we, we've said how many times a guy lived multiple lives. He learned how to play a flute. He did, he did everything. 
and you introduced interesting things about Riker. Okay, we learned a little bit about his father, and then they had to fight it out. And um, you know what? I don't want to mm-hmm. derail you on the whole Riker thing, but I feel like this is actually an excellent time to play our next call because I, I think we're about to trip into our answer for it anyway. I think we are. Go right ahead. Hello, John, Ken, and Rod. This is Rand from Syracuse. And I just wanted to touch base on something that I've been kind of noticing as a recurring theme with Riker. So I just listened to The Best of Both Worlds, and um, something occurred to me when we're talking about the self-loathing Riker. Uh, Riker seems to be a really damaged individual who is kind of keeping it together, but there's all this evidence of how Riker just hates himself. So the... The first thing that's kind of interesting is when we meet the duplicate Riker, he hates that guy. He hates being, you know, his own face, his own voice, and another person. And for some reason, he can't get along with him. And then later on in, in Lower Deck, we see the guy who is trying to ingratiate himself to Riker. Um, I cannot remember the character's name. But again, Riker is really tough on this kid. And the third thing is when we meet Commander Shelby in the best of both worlds. And Picard points out Commander Shelby is pretty much Riker. And again, Riker can't get along with her. But what is it about Riker that he doesn't like Riker? You know, it's a, it's a kind of interesting study in... I would love to have seen more Tom Riker versus Will Riker to see where that would have went and, you know, to see if he could have maybe made peace to himself. But it does explain why he has a psychologist Riker. Well, is this turning into the uh, the Riker show, the Riker examination show of uh, Mission Log here? Um, here's the thing. I, I, I don't totally disagree with Rand. I guess I just think that they weren't thinking that hard about it at the time. You know, like if you read a a character description for Riker, you you get all the surface stuff. And then uh, because of the nature of the production of the show, you got 26 episodes to fill. They get five or eight episodes into a season. They go, oh, no, we ran out of scripts. Let's do something. We're going to introduce... a transporter duplicate for Riker. Now, how should they interact? Well, it's weird to meet a transporter twin, so let's give them some conflict. I, I don't know how deeply they looked at this and said, this is a manifestation of Riker's hatred for himself. <laughs> you know? Um, interesting idea. Um, but I, I, I don't know that they actually went that deep with Riker. See, what's weird to me about your saying that is the more I think about it, the more like Kirk he seems to me to be. We joked before about how, you know, there's no rear view mirror on the Enterprise because mm-hmm. Kirk doesn't look back. Kirk looks forward. Yeah. Right. Riker is, is, is a bit similar, I think. Uh, let me back up. I, I wouldn't want to spend five minutes with me. <laughs> Like if there was a clone of me, I don't think I don't think he and I would hang out a lot. Mm-hmm. 
if I could get him to go out and buy me things, I'd be okay. Like, run to the store. You know what I like, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. he would. But otherwise, I don't, I mean, it doesn't strike me as that odd, actually. Like, I, I don't know that I would want to spend a lot of time with a Ken clone. So, I mean, just for anybody, I mean, go back to Picard. Picard did not have a good time with Shinzon. Picard no. did not have a good time with the duplicate of himself in Times Squared. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, though, when Hollywood shows you yourself, or a character, like, you know, is looking at themselves, it's not because they like themselves. Zaphod Beeblebrox. Zaphod Beeblebrox was hugely happy with himself. And so when he, you know, would come across manifestations of himself, he'd be like, hey, yeah, groovy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, not the case. Because um, usually a writer is not like, look how good you look from the back, right? I mean, generally speaking, a writer is like, wow, really examine everything that you might not like about yourself if you were outside yourself. Um, I don't know. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's an interesting character, but yeah, it's, I, yes, I, I get what you're saying. I I don't think though any writer is going to waste time on a, on an episode where somebody is celebrating themselves. Yeah, when 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 right. Riker has to address Riker, what he's going to be looking at is something about himself he doesn't like. He's not going to walk onto the bridge and how's it going? Number one, yeah, pretty good. I was thinking the other day how great I sound <laughs> when I play the trombone. I'm I'm just I'm really good at that. I like yeah. I like me. Yeah. I like me, John Luke. I like me. <laughs> I, I, I will say this, though, you know, they, you mentioned the trombone thing and that that and they think about Riker making terrible omelets. Um, mm-hmm. it, moments like that are good. You, you need to take down your hero a notch or two. Like you, you don't need to give him in this case in TNG, you don't need to give him huge struggles, but they need to see him be a little bit human, you need to see him not be good at everything. And. Even if I felt like the the story with his father and Icarus Factor was a little manufactured, um, they at least knew they had the luxury of going on for more than three seasons, going on for more than 79 episodes. So you could give him moments to um, just to be a little more human, a little less than perfect. Um, And I will tell you this, he did a fantastic job just as Jonathan Frakes, the actor, um, he's consistently good as Riker, but then Jonathan Frakes as Riker, as the person who was in an alien asylum and uh, and being tortured in a frame of mind, uh, the, that was exceptionally good. And I, I thought gave us more of a look into Riker really dealing with something than most of the other episodes that we had of Riker dealing with something. So I think, uh, you know, about an hour to cover seven years of TV and three and a half years of our lives. That's probably good, right? We don't need no, to say fair. anything yeah. else about Yeah, we don't. No, yeah, nothing we'll else to say on. about TNG. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think so. <laughs> of course you kid. Yes, of course I do, because, wow, we've got, we've got interviews that we're going to be doing, and then we've got, uh, we've got a couple of other uh, things that we want to talk about, uh, maybe an episode or ten that we would like to uh, sort of lay out for people at some point. So, yes, we are we are on our way. We're on a very slow-moving ship to Deep Space Nine. But, um, you know, we'll get there, and, uh, and we'll relax and enjoy the journey on the way. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. 
Roddenberry does so much stuff, including podcasts. You can check out this show, plus Women at Warp and Priority One and The Trek Files and Mission Log Live at podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to help support our show, patreon.com slash mission log is a good place to do that. For more exciting Star Trek podcasts, check out Trek FM at trek.fm. And for the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. More time with TNG is coming up. Keep this channel open. podcast.roddenberry.com the roddenberry podcast network when facing a family law matter it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process it's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help it's stangy law firm we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day visit familylawrepresentation.com to schedule your consultation that's familylawrepresentation.com Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri.